0: All right, it's time to get your head right, get your game right with Andy Dirks. We got today on the podcast an extremely special guest who needs no introduction. We have Jim Leland on the podcast today. Thanks for being on, Skip. No problem. Glad to be on with you, Andy. Yeah, so obviously uh, Jim has managed several years in the big leagues. He's still involved in, in day-to-day baseball operations uh, with the Tigers and 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 goes around and does speaking engagements, and and people like his knowledge. What we try to do here, Skip, is – you know give a, some resources to help kids and parents kind of navigate the the middle side and the and and the different things of baseball that you know it's drills and skills get you so far but what's between the ears kind of is the the difference makers
1: well there's no question about that and i think it's you know you got to make sure it's a fun thing you know people have to have the right attitude that first of all they got to want to do it they got to be into it i think sometimes we force our kids to play a little bit. and Maybe they're really not into it the way they need to be. So I think that's number one. I think your your attitude toward the game and, and and wanting to play the game is one of the most important things there is. And I think it's something that you just can't force feed the kids into. You got to you gotta kind of let it flow. So I think that's one of the really important avenues that you have to take.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think there is a point where we push too hard on, you know, we're talking 10, 12-year-old kids sometimes, right? Uh, yeah they they should still be just playing baseball because it's a lot of fun they get to play with their buddies they want to go they want you want them to want to go to the field
1: yeah there's no question about that it has to be a fun thing at that age you know I think we put too much pressure on these kids you know everything's become specialization now with all these sports I mean for Mm -hmm. instance when I grew up you went from one sport to the next you know you played everything and now everything's so specialized with the travel leagues and and, you know, football coaches want you to do this. Basketball coaches want you to train all year round. I understand it, but I, I don't think it's as healthy as it was when we were younger where you just went from, like, one sport to the next. And I, it's got to be a fun thing for kids because if it's not, you know, they just lose their interest and they're, they're miserable. They just don't
0: want to be out there. So I think, you know, the attitude of the parents is very helpful along those lines. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it starts at home. It's got to. You know, everything you do kind of starts from what information you're getting fed in at your house. Uh, so when parents when you're, when you're going through this and we have in the last five years we have ex- some extraordinary young players coming into the big leagues right uh, some amazing talents how for you you know when you were managing how did you approach those those young really talented guys uh, as they're coming into the big leagues uh, compared to like the veteran players
1: well I think you have to let it flow and I think you have to be careful of your expectations with young players I think Because I think all young players, no matter how good they are, no matter how good they have been in college or amateur ball or even in the minor leagues, I think they're still uh, a little apprehensive when they get to the big leagues. You know, here I finally am. Do I really belong here? Uh, You know, am I really good enough? So I think that you have to kind of tippy-toe with them, and you got to kind of break them in slow, and you have to be patient. You cannot, uh, you know, have a guy fail a little bit and say, ah, this guy's not good enough and send me back down and everything. If you're going to break in a young player, you have to be patient with him. You know, you have to put him in real good situations, as many as you can. You have to let him have some success. You have to let him fail a little bit. But it's a it's a process. And you have to be talking to those players consistently, you know, to keep their spirits up. Because it can be frustrating in the big leagues, as you know. I mean, you can come up mm-hmm. to the big leagues and all of a sudden go, you know, 0 for 18 in a heartbeat.
0: Well, those guys have probably never done that in their life before. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit tricky. Yeah, trying to navigate that. And I always thought you did a good job at least for me as a player, you knew when to step in and when, when something needed to be discussed and when to just let me play ball too. So, you yeah. know, it, it takes a lot of pressure off of a guy.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you just got to let the kids play. And you can't, you know, they can't be looking over their shoulder all the time. If You know, if I go over for 4, over 8, am I going to be sent down? If I make an error, is the manager going to get out? You know, I never got on anybody for physical errors. Those happen. That's just part of the game, you know. Uh, you know, as long as the guy – it has his nose to the grindstone. It is, is, you know, his concentration is good. I think relaxation and concentration are the two best things that you can have. If you can relax and concentrate, you know, your leg up on everybody else. Some people can relax, but they can't concentrate and vice versa. So I think that's one thing that you have to, you know, implement
0: with your players.
1: Yeah, because everybody is a, I mean, we're,
0: we're all humans. So we all have our different personalities and things that make us tick and and we all have weaknesses and strengths. And I think you—you you, the sooner you can exploit those and know those in your guys, the quicker you can help benefit them, too. Well, I, like, like I said, I don't think there's
1: any question about that. That's why, you know, you, you, you concentrate on the team, mm-hmm. the team, the team concept. But actually, you have to get to know every player as an individual. And you have to know what makes him work and what doesn't. And, you know, sure, everything's in the team concept. But to get the best out of each individual player, you have to get to know him. You have to have some type of relationship with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're the manager and he's the player, so there's a little bit of a barrier there. But you have to break that barrier by letting the player know that you care about him, you know, you're interested in his family, you're interested in what's going on with him, and you have to have some conversations with him really other than baseball, and I think
0: that's very important. Yeah, the relationship is uh, key. You, you managed one of the best players to ever play the game, uh, Barry Bonds. I remember in 2012 when we were in the World Series, Uh, Bonds came to the clubhouse and it was the first time I've, and you know, we had Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander and a a lot of pretty star studded uh, uh, lineup prints and all these guys. But when Bonds walked in, the whole place kind of got quiet and everybody's like, Oh wow, that's Barry Bonds, you know? And then I'm like, I wonder who he's here to see. Well, he's here to see Skip. I'm like, really? Out of all these guys, he's here to see Skip. So obviously you left a lasting impression with him. What was, what was it like managing Bonds as he was growing up? Well, I, I
1: really liked it. Barry was a, uh, you know, he was a, a very confident player, kind of a brash personality. But, you know, obviously turned into a great player, and he was so talented. You know, he could do a lot of things. So, uh, you know, you, you just had to stay on top of him a little bit, show him that you care about him. He was one of those guys that, that you know, you had to keep him on his toes all the time by the way you handled him. You know, because he was a young star breaking in, and and you know that that's a lot for a kid. You know, there's a lot of pressure. You know, he was the son of a famous player, Bobby Bonds, and So there was a lot of kind of extra pressure on him, but he was a great player to manage. He played all the time, never wanted out of the lineup. And all you really had to do was just kind of write him in the lineup and then spend a little time with him once in a while to let him know you cared about him. And as long as you did that, he was great. I mean, he was actually easy to manage. I know we had that one spat that was famous on TV and everything, but hey, that's part of the business. You know, you're a competitor, the manager's a competitor, you know, and everything, you know, everything doesn't go smooth all year long in a clubhouse. There are some you know, there's, so it's no different than family. There's some spats, there's some uh, disagreements, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you all have each other's back.
0: Yeah. And I remember, uh I remember when you almost uh, tried to fight Jared Weaver after he threw it over Alex Villa's head. And I'm like, yeah, skip, ain't messing around. I, I think that <laughs> was my rookie year too. And here you went out running, running after Jared Weaver. I'm like, skip, you know, that guy's like six foot seven and, 280 pounds of pure man
1: <laughs> well yeah, that probably wasn't a very wise decision on my part <laughs> but uh you know like i say when you're in the heat of battle and you're competing and you want you to know your you know you want your players to know that you have their back and you know it was just one of those things i i like jared weaver
0: i know him you know we get along great it's just you know yeah. competition oh yeah comp- competition things happen that's right that's right And that's what a lot of people don't understand the media always blows stuff up you know fights in the clubhouse or in the dugout and you got to understand 162 games then you add spring training then playoffs you're with the same pretty much core group of guys for nine months 10 months out of the year more you see them more than your family and there's going to be tempers there's going to be things that rage but that's part of the the competitive drive that makes guys play at a high level too yeah that's i mean that's the beauty of it you know you see people go through
1: adversity you see them handle success you know that there, there's a way that you have to handle both of those things and you know it's not easy when, you know, some guys are doing really good and other guys are doing bad. So you got, you know, you got some guys doing really good that are happy and everything, and then mm-hmm. you got some guys that are struggling and they're down in the dumps. And you know, somebody says the wrong thing to somebody at a moment. You know, things happen. But you know, I, I always, uh, I always felt like we had good clubhouses, and that's the spirit of competition. You know, I, I didn't have any problem with that. I didn't. I remember some one year long ago, not with the Tigers, but somebody said, "Hey, so and so's fighting in the clubhouse." I said, "Good, let them fight. They'll get through it." You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because that's just the way things happen. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a competitive sport and there's a lot at stake, you know, that obviously, uh, there's financial rewards for the players when they do well, there's financial rewards for the team and the city and everybody else when the team does well. So it's a combination of all those things. And you just have to, as a manager, that's, that's why they call it manager.
0: You have to manage all those aspects of it. And that, so it goes off the field too. Right. And that's what I try to, you know, young, young players, uh, whatever level they're at, the coach isn't always going to be able to have your back. It's not like every coach is the same. And I think having an open and honest line of communication is important. And, you know, I get questions. What if my coach, he doesn't like me, he doesn't want to play me. I'm like, a lot of times that's not true because most coaches at some level, they want to win baseball games, right? That's what we all have that common goal in mind. And then how can you help him win more baseball games is maybe what it boils down to. Uh, as far as style goes, like when you're winning, things are great. When you're losing, things are tough. So what if you're the player, though, that you just can never seem to, to break the, the lineup or, or never seem to get your fair shot? Well, what would you tell that kid?
1: Well, I think, you know, you have to
0: people have to wait their time. And they're
1: there for a reason. They, they've made the club and are on the club, maybe not playing as much as they want. But basically, at the end of the day. I mean, managers aren't, believe it or not, they're not stupid. They're want they going to put the guys out there that give them a chance to keep their jobs, to win baseball games, because the manager has the jobs, too. He has a lot at stake, too. I mean, he Mm -hmm. wants to manage. So, I mean, the managers, you know, they, they, you know, you you might have that stuff go on in high school a little bit with the parents and everything and little petty, heady, jealousies. everything. But when you get to the big leagues, you're talking about the big boys. This is, there's, you know, people that play good, they're in the lineup. People that don't play good, they're not in the lineup. That's just the way it is.
0: We always told everybody because, you know, you go to AAA kind of up and down a little bit, but spending time there. And you got the, a bunch of miserable guys who want to think they should be in the big leagues but aren't. Uh, and then you got some of the veterans who just kind of know their role there. But it always goes back to if you don't like your situation, play better. You know, if you play better and play well long enough, you'll get, you'll get your call up and you'll get a shot. And you better be ready when you get your call up because it can be here and gone, right? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is I think that's a good point
1: because AAA is a tough place to manage. I managed AAA for three years, and it's a tough place to manage just for the reasons that you just mentioned. you got a lot of guys that felt like they should have made the big club. They felt like they're a little better than somebody else. And I know the organizations use the number game once in a while, but there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes, I mean, there's only 25 players. And there are some times, to be honest with you, there are some times that it happens where a player that really deserved to make the team didn't make it just because of the numbers. I know the players don't want to hear that, but that does happen. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, so you just have to tell that player, look, you just got to go down there and you can go down there with the right attitude and get back here quick, or you can go down there with the wrong attitude and probably sit down there for three or four months. So it, it boils down to, you know, the player's approach. And I think once he gets over the initial shock and not making the making the club and everything, I think most players settle in and realize that, hey, Yeah, I'm not going to do myself any good by not, you know, by not hustling, by not putting out, by
0: this Mm -hmm. and that. It's
1: it's only going to hurt me.
0: So, yeah, AAA is a real delicate place to manage. Yeah, without a doubt, a lot of different age age uh, players in AAA too. You know, you got anybody from uh, 20 to 40, 45. You know, so that's right. um, What do you think? So now we got some cool stuff happening with technology, and there's a lot of. Well, you know, the data and analytics stuff has, has become extremely popular in the game. Uh, I think there's some of it that can be useful. I don't think it's the end all be all. What are your thoughts as far as, you know, the technology advances and, and what some of these nerd brains are putting together uh, for well, players to use and coaches to use? Well,
1: you know, to be honest with you, these guys are real smart guys. And I, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, they, 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 they you know, I'm old, but I'm not old school. I, I, I like information we've always had information. I think that with all the technology and everything, there is more information. And I think that what you do is you, you you get together with those guys and you sort through this information and you figure out what is beneficial to that particular player and what is beneficial to your club. I don't have anything. uh, I don't have anything against this stuff in, in the modern day ideas and everything. It's not a cure all. I think that you still have to have, the combination of the analytics and the and the, and, the, and a set of eyes looking at players and and for development and everything. So I think what you do is you get all this information, you combine it with scouts, managers, coaches, and you look at everything and you sort through it and you say decide how is this going to make our players and our organization better. So I, I, I'm all for it. I think there's some of it that's, that's just reading material that it's not worth very much, but there's a lot of stuff that I think that does that does make some sense and it does have impact and to be honest with you we've always had numbers and percentages and stuff like this as managers it's just in today's world in the computer age you get it a lot quicker and mm-hmm. there's more up and there's more of it so you just have to sort through it and figure out what is advantageous to your uh, your player and your
0: team yeah the the debate right now on the you know long ball versus the strikeout right uh right well, obviously home runs are a great way to to score runs they happen you you, you can you, knock in three with one swing, essentially. Uh, wh- what do you think, as far as the strikeouts are concerned, how, how much do you look into that? How much do you say, well, the pitchers are just that good now, guys are going to K more, and guys are trying to hit more home runs?
1: Well, I think the problem is, I think if you look at the history of baseball, your big home run hitters have all struck out. There's no okay. question about that. But I think the problem in today's game is the little guys are striking out, trying to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Guys, that really aren't, guys that really aren't capable of hitting home runs are trying to hit home runs with the launch angle, all that kind of stuff. And I think one of the big things you have to uh, talk to, I've talked to our organization about this, is your players, when they're in the minor leagues, What way? what's the best way that you're going to be able to contribute to our major league club winning? And it's not the same for everybody. Somebody's, some people are contributors, and then you got the big horses like the Cabreras and those guys that carry the team. But you, mm-hmm. need those other, you need those other guys to set up the big guys. And I think the, one of the problems, I think the strikeouts is a disgrace. I think the two-strike approach is terrible. Right now, I think uh, people are, are, are downplaying the strikeout. It's not that important if you strike out. I, I disagree with that totally. There's ways to win games, and the little guys a lot of times have to set the big guys up to, to do that. So I think that there's certain guys in every lineup, in my personal opinion, there's certain guys in every lineup like with a man on third and less than two outs, where they need to put the ball in play for sure. They should go into their two strike approach from the first pitch on. You see mm-hmm. these little guys, you see these little guys swinging out of their fanny from strike one on. All of a sudden, the guy sliders and throwing bad pitches. They're swinging at them. I, I just don't think that's good for the game. I don't think that's the way you play the game. I think it's okay. The big guys, the big home run hitters are probably going
0: to strike out some. They always have. But the little guys need to cut down on their strikeouts. Yeah, get back to playing baseball. And that goes back to uh, one thing about the data and everything that I, I try to make kids aware of is at the end of the day, whatever you feel like that day is going to be different when you're hitting or pitching, you're, you're not always going to be perfectly – uh app that day to to perform at your peak but you still have to find ways when you don't feel great to compete right and that's what it comes back to the two strike approach to me is just the guy getting in there and being a competitor he's not going to beat me i'm not going to let this guy strike me out i'm going to win this at bat put a ball in play do something that might benefit my team uh, to help him win this game because how many times do you see it the guy battles 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 gets a two-strike hit with two outs, and then, like you said, the next guy ups Miguel Cabrera, and he goes deep. And you yeah. win the game by one run, right? So yeah. that's what it comes back to. Or maybe he worked that walk and, and, and was setting the table. I don't think – and people still don't understand this. Not everybody's going to be Miguel Cabrera. Not everybody's Justin Verlander. Not everybody – but there is a lot of different roles that need to be played on a baseball team.
1: Oh, there's no question about that. And I think that's
0: – you know, I I actually think that a player has to – I think
1: your approach is so important. In other words, each at bat could be different. You get four at bats in a game, okay? Well, those four at bats might dictate something different. What do I have to do here? Do I have to hit a sacrifice fly? The shortstop, the middle of the infield's back, can I hit a ground ball to shortstop and get a and get an RBI to put us on the scoreboard? You have to decide your at bats dictate what do I need to do this at bat. They may vary. They're not all the same at bats. There's different situations, and a manager might ask you. In some cases, hey, you've got to hit the ball to the other side to get the guy over. That might be one thing one time. There might be a situation with two outs in the ninth inning, one run down. So you take a shot at trying to tie the game up by trying to go deep. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's, it, it's different with each at-bat. And you just have to decide, okay, what does this at-bat dictate?
0: What can I do with this at-bat that's going to help my team win this game? Yeah. yeah, so your plan going into it's dictated by what the game needs in that situation. That's no
1: question. That's, perfect. Perfect. I mean, that, that's the one thing I don't think they're playing as good as baseball as far as winning games as the way they used to play the, the game. Now you talk about a guy giving somebody up. They look at you like you're crazy. Give yourself up, hit the ball the other side. They look at you like you're nuts. But in the, at the end of the day, that's how you win baseball games. You yep. win baseball games by touching home plate. Now, I don't care how you get it done. But, you know, little guys shouldn't be up there swinging out of their fanny trying to hit home runs when they could maybe could have moved the guy over for the next guy that's very capable of hitting the sacrifice fly. So there's a lot of things that go on in the game that decide who wins and who loses the game. And I also think the disciplined teams, the teams that are disciplined and know how to play the game and hit the cutoff man and run the bases right and do the right
0: things and their manager's disciplined, I think those teams
1: play better late in the game.
0: Yeah. The good teams always play better late in the game. You know, it doesn't matter if you're down by three runs going into the eighth. You always got a chance. Good teams always always have a chance to win the game. And that is something that what happens is other teams start realizing that. And then you get that fear factor. Oh, we're going to go play the Yankees. Well, we know that they're not going to give up. It doesn't matter if we're ahead by five runs, you know, the Yankees in the 90s or we're playing Detroit Tigers in 2012. They don't care if they're down by five runs in the eighth. They might win still. They still think they can win, you know, and it's contagious. And that's does those things make
1: good teams. Well, I think the other thing is, I think even even when teams get good teams, when they get behind in games, every team in baseball, pre- pretty much, if you watch the course of the season, every single game, all the teams, that are, all the games that are played in the major leagues, When teams get behind early in the game, there's a couple things that happen. The good teams, they usually, they normally find at some point during the game, there's one or two chances to come back and get themselves back in the game. The bad teams are saying, well, this game's probably over. I'm going to hit my cheap home run. You'll see a lot of outs made in the air to the outfielders when teams get way behind because somebody's going to try to hit a cheap home run. But the good teams, you know, they get a walk. They get a hit batsman. They get an error somewhere. All of a sudden, somebody hits a double. You usually have an opportunity somewhere during the course of that game to come back and win it.
0: Yeah, and you have to stay with it. But it comes back to that plan you were talking about. I think most people – they don't even think about this stuff. And coaches listening to this right now, you know, for young young players out there, uh, if you're trying to help a young kid, start implementing some of this. Run them through some scenarios maybe in practice, during a batting practice, as opposed to just going in and swinging. Maybe have an idea, like runner at second with less than two outs or runner at second, nobody out. What do we need to do here? And guys should have an idea of exactly what they need to do. And I think it takes a lot of pressure off. I know you always uh, were good with – when I was struggling – you just tell me, hey, if, if so-and-so's on first, first pitch, hit, and run. Because you know that that gave me the green light to just go up there and, and not think, right?
1: Yeah, it takes all... See, To me, that's what you do with for the young coaches and everybody out there. That's what you do with young hitters that are struggling. You put a hit and run on once in a while because they know that they have to put the ball in play. So their concentration becomes a little bit better than it normally would be, maybe. They're struggling. Maybe their concentration is not good. They're pulling off. So a lot of times I would put a hit-and-run on with a guy that's struggling because one thing it does, it takes that indecisiveness away. He knows he's got to swing. He's not in between taking or swinging. He knows he has to swing the bat. And you'd be surprised once in a while when you do that with a guy. He he hits a hole somewhere, and the guy goes to third. He's got a base hit. The guy goes to third. And all of a sudden, it brings the guy right out of a slump.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be I mean, you'd be surprised how many times that happens. And understanding, you know, when a guy is struggling, there are some things you can do to try to help him just like that it's not we all know that we're in our own head when we're slumping we all know there's an issue and it's between the ears generally like you said you're tentative you're you're not feeling right you're not confident but doing one little hit one little thing like that might help bust them out so something for you coach to remember put that in your back pocket and save it for later
1: yeah well what i like about it is like the like you'll talk to a lot of guys i say well why don't you you know i'll talk to young managers once a while i say this guy he said he strikes out a lot, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, why don't you try to hit and run with him? Well, because he swings and misses so much. I said, well, to me, that's the guy you want to try to hit and run with once in a while because all of a sudden he knows, hey, I got to put this ball in play. Mm-hmm. That guy's running. So his concentration upgrades a little bit. And all of a sudden, you know, he might he might catch fire and start really hitting. I mean, you know he swings and misses some. But if you, if you force him to swing and you force him to make him hit the ball, a lot of times that's really a good tonic for a hitter to
0: struggle. Yeah. I like it when you are So when it comes to, you know, uh, deciding who's playing, putting, putting the lineup together, you know, based on starting pitching and things like that, how, how soon did you start preparing for the next day uh, after the game was over?
1: Well, I had an idea going into the series, each series, I had an idea, but I think people are, people are misled by that too. First of all, if you look at your your teams, you know, you got Magli Ordonez, you got Mel Miguel Cabrera, you got Pudge Rodriguez, you got Carlos Guillen. Well, these guys are gonna be in the lineup. They're your everyday players. So they're gonna be there. So where where your thought process goes is, okay, when do I have okay, I need to this guy's struggling a little bit. I wanna give him a rest. So I would look ahead and I would say, Okay, three days from now we're playing against so and so, and this is a guy that he doesn't hit. So that's the day I'm gonna give him off. So I'd play him two more days, then plan ahead to give him that off day. And, and get him away from somebody that he struggles against. He's struggling anyway, and here's a pitcher that he doesn't hit at all. Well, and maybe you got got an off day the next day, so the guy actually gets two days off. So you plan ahead. I would plan way ahead, but it mm-hmm. would be like series to series, and then I would discuss every day my next day's lineup of who was pitching maybe like a platoon. You know, I got a tough call tonight. Do I want to play Dirks or do I want to play Marcus Timms, for example? Or do I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know. I got a little bit of a tough call here. What do, you, what do you think's the best way to go? I would discuss it with my coaches. I'd discuss it with Dave Debrowski. That I mean, they never told me who to play, but yeah. I would get, I would get their opinion. And I'd say, you know, what matchup do you like better here? Do you like Andy Dirks or do you like Tim's? You know, and we'd sit there and we, you know, not really have a vote on it. And I, at the end of the conversation, then I would have to make the decision.
0: You were collecting data. You were getting right. you're getting yeah. as much information to make the best decision possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. no question that, about it
0: that takes staying humble you know for a guy in your position who's uh, who managed a long time in the big leagues and and uh, it's refreshing it's got to be so coaches out there listening like if Jim Leland's asking his other coaches for their opinions on things I think you should probably do the same right and never yeah. think that you're bigger than the game or no more than than everybody else
1: well see I've always believed that I've always believed not arguments but I always believe disagreements are healthy for organizations. In other words, Gene Lamont say, well, I like this matchup. And, and, you know, Tom Brookings might say, well, I like this matchup better. That's all good information for a manager. And at the end of those conversations, he has to make the final decision, which I always did. Dave Dombrowski never once told me who to play, not who to play. Uh, you know, once in a while you get a young guy I say, hey, you think there's a chance you might slip him in there somewhere to get some a bath, see what he looks like? Sure. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, all, that's all part of the process.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. If you go into, and you you manage in both leagues too, so you've seen basically every side of Major League Baseball. So the NL side to me is so foreign because I was an AL player uh, my entire career, and I remember like these double switches and things were happening. I just knew when I was going into an NL ballpark that I needed to be ready in like the second inning if I wasn't starting. <laughs> That's all I knew. But what was yeah. the difference as far as uh, what you see, takeaways on well, each league? Uh.
1: Well, see, what I think is I'm a little bit different than most people, to be honest with you. Most people think it's harder to manage in the, in the National League because of all the double switches and the movement you're making. I disagreed with that. I thought it was harder to manage in the American League, and I'll tell you why. Most of managing is handling your pitching staff. I mean, the regulars take care of themselves. But if you're going to be a good manager, you have to be able to handle your pitching. Well, in the National League, a lot of times your decision is made for you because even a guy as good as Verlander, say he gets down 4 to in the first inning, and it comes around the fifth inning, and you got a couple guys on base, you you got a pinch hit in the National mm-hmm. League. In the American League, he might have settled in and might pitch one great game for you. You have to be more precise when you take your pitcher out in the American League as opposed to the National League because a lot of times that decision in the National League is made for you because of the score of the game. So I always felt it was actually more difficult to manage in the American League even though there's more to do in
0: the National League. Yeah, I think most people don't realize that the pitching is – very tricky because you have a bullpen and then you got different starters and you know you'll have a guy that hits a spot start here and there for you or whatever but knowing your starters and knowing as because all it takes is one in and it can be three batters and there's three runs on the board it, it yeah. happens quick in the big leagues right and I think a lot of people don't understand that and they get frustrated if you take them out they're frustrated if you leave them in and they don't succeed so i could, I could see that's a very tricky and slippery slope because then you don't want to bring your bullpen guy in. Uh, with runners on base all over because Verlander gave up a double and then walked a guy. And he yeah. should have probably been out of the game you know, the inning before. But Well, what happens a lot of times is
1: that when you have a pretty good starting pitching and not a very good bullpen, you can leave your starters in too long because you're yeah. worried about your bullpen. When you don't have real good starters but you have a, bull, a good bullpen, you can take your starter out too quick. So you have to you have to be careful with that. You have to you have to stay on top of it. And the main thing is, the manager you have to take care of your pitching staff. And you have when you have a twelve man pitching staff, you have to use them all. You have to make everybody feel important. You have to get some guys in and out of there where they've had success for an inning or so. So get them out. Let them walk away with a good feeling. Let them build confidence as the season goes down. They get better and better. So I think, you know, that's real tricky because if you if you're using your bullpen because you want to and not because you have to, you're normally in pretty good shape. And mm-hmm. I, I also disagree with the way it's going today where the bullpens have become so, they've made such a big deal about the bullpens. But to be honest with you, Andy, the best bullpens are seven-inning starters. That's your best bullpen. Yeah. When yeah. you get a starter, it gives you six and two-thirds, six and a third. And then you're only, you know, you're, you only got to worry about wedging one inning there maybe with the setup guy. And then everybody normally has a closer. So you're only talking about dealing with four or five outs. So if you get starting pitching that gives you consistency, of six innings, six and two thirds. You know, get to the seventh inning. That's that's your best bullpen because you keep everybody fresh, you keep everybody healthy, and everybody has a chance to make
0: contributions. And the roles are a little more defined than too. You know, the bullpen because right. then if you're using it too much, then your setup guys toast and you can't use them when you need them or you you know whatever it is. So, well, yeah. that's right. As
1: you know, as a major league manager, the one thing that's the most important. You know, I know the coaches, a lot of amateur coaches don't obviously don't play near as many games as we do, but at the major league level and even the minor league level, in order to handle your pitching staff, right. The one thing that you can never fear is you cannot ever worry about losing a game. You can't be afraid to lose a game. Now, are you trying to lose a game? No, you're not. But if you get crazy with your bullpen, because you, you know, the, the score, the fans are going crazy. They're mad. Get him out of there. But, you know, if you're afraid to lose a game, you're going to be in trouble because what happens is if you're afraid to lose one game, you might end up losing about seven out of eight because you used your
0: bullpen and you were worried about what you had to answer after the game, you can't manage like that. That's such a good point. You know, and that's stuff that I don't think a lot of people think about because you got to think about the future, right? So that one game in that moment when the tension's going and, and like you said, our competitive juices are flowing, you have to stay calm and and understand that there's bigger fish to fry here. It's called the rest of the season than this just one game, right? That's Uh, that's that's exactly right. You always hear about the high school kid who – Threw 387 pitches over two games and blew out his arm. Right, and right. I think that's something for uh, coaches listening. Like, don't don't use and abuse that kid. Like, just get him out. Like, let him throw his his pitches, but give give the ball to somebody else and don't be afraid to lose the game.
1: That's right. I I agree with that 100. percent. Now you know I know high school play less games and those games are more impactful because they only have a few games, mm-hmm. so they you know they can't. They can't afford to lose their game sometimes in some situation, but you never do that at the expense of your pitcher's health. You never mm-hmm. do that with, with a kid or a major leaguer. You never leave somebody out there
0: where you think you're risking injury. So one of the things in your career that I think people always found extremely entertaining was uh, your conversations with the media, post-game interviews, whatever it was, for whatever reason, people really attached to that. And I didn't watch a ton of them, but I do know that you were pretty straight, straightforward and honest. Well, I, you know,
1: I always believed this, whether the media liked me or whether they didn't like me. And I, I actually had a good relationship with the media, and I understood that they had a job to do. And to be honest with you, I tried to use the media, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way. I, I tried to use the media in a positive way because I think the fans, I think when you talk to the media and discuss the club and you tell them as much as you can. I mean, if my general manager said, hey, you can't discuss this, I would never discuss it. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think you use the media to try to get the information of what's going on with the club out to the fans so that they feel a part of it. They, they say, you know what, Jim said this today about, hey, I heard this today that Jim said this and that, we're going to not play this guy then, and this is the reason why. I think you try to get as much information out there to your fans so that they feel a part of it because they mm-hmm. are a part of it. You know, you know how great it was in Detroit when we were there, all these people coming to the games. Those people have a right to know, What's going on with the team? As much as you can tell them. I mean, there's some yeah. things like trades and stuff you can't talk about, but but I think you try to get the information. So I I enjoyed the media. I thought they were fair. Uh, you know, they get on you if you mess up. Yeah, that that's fine. Uh, but I think the guy, as long as the guys were
0: reasonable and just weren't looking for problems, I I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I think then that's one thing. You know, because I was always a put my head down and go to work kind of guy. I never really, uh, it never even made it to a point where I felt like I was, you know, veteran enough or uh, even close to, I would just say it how it was and that was it. But I think a lot of young players, and now we're seeing it, it's getting, it's getting crazier and crazier in the media with social media and all this different stuff, right? About guys blasting other guys and, oh, look what I'm doing over here and look at this. What would you tell those young players when they're coming up? Because now there's things that are uh, acceptable in the game that weren't acceptable even six, seven years ago. You know, yeah. Well, you got to get I th- plunked.
1: I think you, you, you know, you, you have to try to educate your players on being careful with that kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff is a no win situation. Uh, you know, let somebody else talk about how good you are, and, and you know, don't be, you know, you just don't have to talk all that smack all the time. I don't think yeah. that's necessary. I think it does more harm than good. Obviously, you're not going to tell a, you know, my players were anywhere from what a 22 to two, to 35, 40. I mean, I'm not going to tell somebody what to do with their life. That's their business. Mm-hmm. But you, you try to precaution them on certain things, you know, be careful with. There's no sense of instigating something, you know. You, uh, you don't want to write a check that your fanny can't cash, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, you, you just got you to you be careful with it and use common sense. I think some of the guys have fun with that kind of stuff, which is okay. But I think you have to be really careful about commenting on other teams' players and stuff like that. That's really not necessary. I never really worried about the other team's players or what somebody else said from the other team. I, I, I really cared less about
0: that. So baseball's pretty much been a massive part of your life uh, for the last 74 years from birth to now. What was what, Where did your passion for the game come from, and, and how did it continue to uh, be a lifelong journey like this?
1: Well, I was like these kids that are playing now. I was a little ligger in some little park somewhere in Michigan or Wyandotte or somewhere a little ligger and everything. And I loved the game. I I, I loved the competition. It was fun. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't a very good player, but I did get a chance to sign. And you know, my passion continued to grow for the game. I had my heroes, like every young kid does. You know, young kids today probably like Harper and guys like that mm-hmm. Trout. And you know, well, mine was Yogi Berra and I, who I eventually got to meet and actually spend a lot of time with and. You know, it just it just kept growing and growing. And in the Tiger organization, I ended up getting a chance to manage in the minor leagues, where I managed for 11 years. And and uh, you know, I just loved it. Never thinking about getting to the big leagues, I didn't think I'd ever get there. But you know, one day it happened, and uh, you know, the rest is history. But I, I still have that same passion for the game. I watch the Tigers every single night. Sometimes I stay up and watch the second game. I usually fall asleep, to be honest with you, about the fifth inning. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I I just love it. I I love the competition. And that's the one thing, being such a bad player like I was, I really enjoyed the fact that you had some little part in managing the best players in the world and managing against the best players in the world and the competition. I love that. And that's the thing I think that motivates all athletes is competition.
0: Competition is the separating. I think guys who embrace competition and go about it the right way—that those are the guys who win. It's not always about the most talented. And yeah, some guys are just way more talented than others, but there is a point where you're only you're only going to be so talented. But you can do like what you did. You weren't the best player ever, but you still enjoyed it because you learned how to compete. And then you then you took that competition and put it on the managing side and and enjoyed baseball for a lot of years doing it. Uh, yeah, knowing knowing where you're at now. Like looking back when you first started uh, your managing career, if you could tell uh, Jim Leland uh, that first year, hey, this is about the, the road that we're going to go down. Maybe you should do this instead of doing this. What would it have been? Well, I don't know that I would have changed anything.
1: I, I, I just enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed the minor leagues. I enjoyed playing in the minor leagues. I enjoyed managing in the, in the minor leagues and enjoyed coaching in the big leagues and managing. So I don't know. I mean, you make mistakes along the way. Maybe you didn't handle a particular situation right, and that's how you learn. I mean, I still mm-hmm. learn today with like you mentioned earlier, some of this new stuff that they have in today's game. I mean, I'm still learning. And I think that's that's the one thing. I mean, when you when you think you got all the answers, you've got a problem because you do you, know, you see something different all the time. And I think, you know, as I I look back on my career, you know, I just uh, you know, it's it's just it's been wonderful. My career is what it is for whatever it is And 57 years in the game and the I look at it that I make some mistakes. That I made a, a make a bad managerial move. Sure, I did. You know, did I make a mistake? Maybe handle the player a player the wrong way or something at a certain point. I did. You know, there's no question about that. But, you know, overall the the camaraderie and the relationships. And I, I think my biggest thrill. I will put it this way: my biggest thrill of my career is, the fact that I still get calls, from kids that I manage in A ball. In, in like 1972, 73, mm-hmm. hey, Skip, hey, Skip, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm retiring now. I have so many children. You, you know, I get calls or letters from those guys.
0: That's the most rewarding thing, I think, of my career. The relationships you build along the way. That The biggest thing I miss is the clubhouse, the guys in the clubhouse. You know, regardless of, of baseball and, like you said, whether you're in the minor leagues or the big leagues, whatever level you make it to, high school team, that's the relationships you build around you. And for you to get letters uh, from 1970s players, that speaks volumes to uh, kind of the legacy you created. Now your son's going to uh, potentially keep carrying, carrying the torch. Well, I'm hoping so. You
1: know, he's with the Baltimore organization now, and uh, he's going to be coaching uh, somewhere in their organization this year. Uh, but, you know, it's, that's up to him. I've never pushed him on it. Uh, he likes it. Uh, he has a passion for it. and as long as he does, I told him that uh, you know, if you, you know you got you got to be all in. you can't be halfway in. So as long as he's got that passion for it, and who knows, you know, is his career gonna turn out like mine? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, that would be nice, but you know, that'll be up to him. but mm-hmm. there, you, you know you can't half step it. You gotta go in, you're either all in or you're not in. and and uh, like I say, it, it was very rewarding for me. I was a player that was released. And, you know, could have gone back home and started doing something else for a living, but I got a chance to manage. So it worked out great for me. It doesn't work out that way for everybody. But like you're talking about the relationships, even these kids in Little League, I mean, I know my son and myself. I look back and, and once in a while you go down memory lane, and you say, you know, this kid played second base on my Little League team. We were 10 years old. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder whatever happened to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you, you know, you reunite those reunite those relationships
0: and it's good, you know, it's, 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 it's fun. Awesome. So never forget never forget what the game's about, the bigger purposes. Uh, That'll help you enjoy the process, too, because the game can be tough. It can be tough mentally. It can be tough physically. It can be tough uh, for father-son relationships at times. But don't ever forget those big pictures like what uh, Skip talked about today. Uh, Skip, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really, really appreciate it. I think people are going to absolutely dive into this one and get some good knowledge. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Andy. Great luck to you. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Okay.